0: What I want to start talking about today uh, is Rage Against the Machine. As anyone, uh, If you were in the 90s, you had to at least have heard of them, let alone listen to them. Um, I was telling someone earlier, I think like their t-shirts were standard issue as a kid in high school in the 90s. Uh, this album was released in 1996. It's like a rap metal kind of rock band. That genre doesn't kind of do so well these days, but it blew my 15-year-old mind when I heard it. It was like something I've never heard before. I mean, the, uh, the title, Evil Empire, um, according to one of the members, it's like the title, Evil Empire, is taken from what Rage Against the Machine see as Ronald Reagan's slander of the Soviet Union in the 80s, which the band feels just as easily could apply to the United States. So, Reagan in the 80s, Cold War, head of the Cold War, calling the Soviet Union an evil empire, and uh, the members of the band saying like, exactly the same kind of stuff that we're saying about them were just as evil. I mean if you've listened to this album it's like what an empire being overthrown sounds like i mean, even like the bass the distortion on the bass is just like shakes your stomach now, on monday uh, i read a journal article about rage against the machine lyrics and their connection with addressing radical criminology um some of the reviews that came in when this was just released was shrill perfection or uh, i think uh, the rolling stone article said um Uh, This is not supposed to be fun music, I I I think is how it was put it. This is not supposed to be fun. Here's some of the lyrics. Weapons, not food, not homes, not shoes, not need, just feed the war cannibal animal. I walk the corner of the cemetery that used to be the library. Every official that comes in cripples us, leaves us maimed, silent and tamed, and with our flesh and bones he builds his homes. Greed, causing innocent blood to flow. Entire culture lost in the overthrow. They came to seize and take whatever they please. Then all they gave back was death and disease. My people were left with no choice but to decide to conform to a system responsible for genocide. That'll be after the service. We'll sing that all together. (laughs) Tried to find something that didn't have curse words in it. It was difficult. So, songs against racism, against violence, against uh, oppressive systems, uh, capitalist systems that are meant to keep the wealthy wealthy and the poor poor. I mean, it was the sound of of revolution. But how is this fighting an oppressive capitalist system, a Black Friday sale, on Rage Against the Machine's website, for 25% off, you too can get a t-shirt with Che Guevara's face on it, or a Statue of Liberty holding a Molotov cocktail. It's like images of, of revolution uh, that they're selling to people in, en masse for their own gain. I get the feeling they're just co opting images of revolution, not really believing in the thing. By the way, to get that 25% off, uh, you had to enter the coupon code Molotov. That's ridiculous. It doesn't feel like a revolution. It feels like kind of the system, how the system always is. It feels like they're just a part of the thing that they're talking about, talking against. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with a band making money or selling merchandise unless your whole existence of a band is against the idea of making money and selling merchandise. To type in the name of an explosive for a voucher to an online retailer to save a few quid on a shirt that you'll wear but never really understand or even less live out. So isn't this a picture of the same kind of money-grabbing greed that all their songs are against? Entire culture lost in the overflow. Yes, that's that's correct. Now, nobody can deny the revolutionary lyrics or, like, sound of Rage Against the Machine. They did some amazing things. But even if we are set against the system, and whatever that means for you, whatever kind of disturbs you and frustrates you with the way that things are, even if you're set against it, we can't help but in some ways kind of become part of it. If it happened to them, like... It it can happen to us, because we're all part of an evil empire, because we're all complicit in building our own evil empires. The parts of your heart that don't get excited when people that you know get ahead in life. They go on that dream holiday, they renovate their house, they get that car, that promotion, whatever it is. When you get resentful resentful of other people flourishing, that's a product of an um, evil empire. When you think of yourself advancing first, and the idea of how it affects others doesn't kind of even enter into your head... That's an evil empire. When your life is organized around how to make your life better, and that's it. When you can't talk to others who believe in different things, have different politics, when greed takes over, there's only room for us, or when our desires take over and we just just do whatever we want to do all the time. See, Jesus came to rescue us from these evil empires that we're just so prone to drift towards, and he came to rescue us from that and save us to his kingdom. Now, this is no small feat. In fact, God himself had to die for this to happen which is kind of a big deal. But more than that, he also rose again for it. And that's what God is teaching us today as we go through the rest of Mark chapter 9 here, our empires and God's kingdom. And, and Jesus is going to set these uh, two against each other. And so first, we're just going to look at what are some of the main concerns of, of our empire? What, what, what do we care about? And then we're going to learn about what Jesus is trying to teach us to care about. So what is the main concern? Well, uh, while they're on the road... Jesus is talking about how he's going to suffer and die for humans. Now, if the teacher that I left my career for, that I left kind of like whatever other ideas I had about life for, if the, and I'm following this teacher, and this teacher said he's going to have to suffer and die, I would have a few questions. I'd want some clarification on what exactly do you mean by that? Of course, the disciples are not going to ask those questions because they're afraid. Uh, and why are they afraid? Well, they're embroiled in this conversation about who's the greatest, that's our concern. Who is the greatest? That's what we care about. No wonder they kept quiet. She's like, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die for you. Like, oh, man, we just were talking about who is the greatest. They're all secretly thinking it's them. I mean, how typically male, really, in all this is kind of like, it's how, it's how we act. Now, this isn't the first time they will be so radically self-centered. It's not going to be the last. The disciples' main concern is their own greatness. Who's the best? And, you know, it's the same in our society, though we might talk about it differently. How we talk about the environment or how we talk about politics or whatever, do we really care about these things, or are we just using worthy causes to present ourselves as the greatest? Are we just trying to make, let everybody know that we're the best? In our empire, our main concern is about being the greatest. So then, as Jesus is kind of teaching them what it means to um, kind of be part of his kingdom, they come across other people who they don't know. Uh, in in verse 38 and following they don't know but they're doing the same kind of work that these disciples have dedicated their lives to they're healing people people who are sick are getting healed they're hearing about jesus because they're doing it in his name do these disciples actually care about those who are offering healing or those who even need healing do they care about like unburdening the oppressed no they actually they go up to the people and tell them to stop they all get defensive and they tell them to stop because in our empire there's no room for others we're self-obsessed. And if we're obsessed, if we're focused on building our empires, it becomes a zero-sum game. There's only this amount of, of, of greatness, and I have to have it all. So if you get a little bit, that's not good for me, so I must have it all. So other, if, if it's like down a little bit, you're going to look how I can fill that up. You might play down other successes. You might feel robbed when someone at work gets credit for doing a good job. But I want to be around people who play up other people's successes. Sadly, There's no room for that, though, if we're concerned about building our own empire. I mean, verse 38 says, he was not one of us. Oh, that says so much, doesn't it? He was not one of us. I mean, this happens in religious circles all the time, especially in evangelicalism. Like, I know other church planters Who in other places have been welcomed by people in their neighborhood, even by welcomed by churches that are like very, very different in their neighborhood, but get blanked by existing churches that might actually believe the same thing. In fact, I found the closer in theology that some churches are with each other, the more we see each other's competition, not actually working for each other. What if we actually decided to work for each other? Because it's not a competition, it's not a zero sum game, it's not about who's the greatest, it's not about our empire. What if we were to have a vision that was bigger than just one measly church? It's a drop in the bucket in, the na- in our neighborhoods, it's a drop in the bucket in Manchester, even smaller drop. What if we could work as a group of churches together for the good of the whole neighborhood, for the good of the whole city? Now, this is much easier to talk about and to be all about when you're the church plant coming in. But what about when that other church has way more money, is like way cooler, better pastor, and has all the resources, you know, has the meeting place and everything? What about when they come in? Are we going to be excited about that? i would hope to be i would be nervous i bet i'd be like oh no my little empire is going to crumble maybe that's a good thing because really what we should be so concerned about is other people knowing jesus other people getting healing all the kind of things that jesus is talking about here and not am i going to do it the way that i want to do it it's an affront though to our empire as long as we're concerned with our own empire, we'll see others as nothing more than competition, and we can't be generous that way. It's impossible to be generous that way. The next thing that uh, we come across in verses 42 through 48, Jesus has some really hard sayings here about people um, stumbling, um, a group of warnings here. Now, the warnings should be instructive to us kind of in this way, because if they weren't real possibilities, why would he warn us? It's not like Jesus is just, merely being hyperbolic just to say crazy stuff. I mean, when I draft Colin off at school, I'm not warning him about like a pension fund. I'm not warning him about like a driver's license or whatever. I'm warning him about make sure you listen to your teachers, make sure you're good to your friends, because this is how we glorify God. That's like a real thing for him. That's real. And this is Jesus in a house talking to the disciples, the 12 people who are closest to him, who get it, and he sets out some real warnings. So being a community that follows Jesus, these warnings aren't for people who are out there. These warnings are for us, and they're uh, they're heavy. They're, they're not light. And what Jesus is saying is they need to be more, more worried about the evil within them than any kind of evil that exists in the outside. And Jesus likes to use hyperbole, so he says, if your hand, if your eye, if your foot cause you to stumble, cut that thing off, remove it. If you're living in a way that's not aligned with how God has taught us to live, do all you can do to stay in God's path. Sometimes it's going to be a very dramatic thing. Don't literally cut your arm off, by the way. I do not suggest that. Um, it's, but what Jesus is saying is it's better to, be deformed, better to be deformed on the outside than deformed on the inside. We often think it's the other way around. Like the outside, that's what I present to the world. That's what really matters. So I'll work on that, like to the, you know, overlooking whatever goes on inside my soul because no one's going to see that anyway, so who cares? I mean, maybe an easy application for us for me it's better to get like less sleep than to neglect time in the bible than to neglect time in prayer it's better to not go on that run or not go to that yoga class and to abandon hearing from god and his word i know at the same time that i say that some of you. Hyper rigid perfectionists are going to be like, oh, that's right. I should probably never sleep ever again. I should probably never go to the gym ever again because that's not very spiritual. That's not what we're going. That's not what we're going for here. Let's not be dogmatic and religious and rigid about it. If you had a terrible week and your chi- your child's been tantruming nonstop for forty eight hours, you have no sleep. If you're overworked, it's okay to get sleep. It's okay to go to the gym. It's okay to do those things. But also, if you want it all, on the long term, if you want to survive those difficult times. Uh, Netflix or sleep or exercise video games whatever the thing might be that is not going to give you the staying power that you need if you aren't hearing from God's word if you aren't going to him in prayer like we will all be sunk so we don't need to be anxious about this but We should be seeking God in this. We should be striving to align our lives just a little bit more in the way that God's talking about. I mean, this isn't some kind of formula of if you eat this many hours, or you know eat and sleep and work out these many hours and you have this many hours. It's not a formula because we have a relationship with a person, There's a person. So if you have a question of like, oh yeah, am I like not? Am I kind of neglecting the Word or am I not praying enough? Like, ask Jesus. Just pray about it and see what He says. Maybe He'd be like, no, actually, you need to calm yourself chill out, and go to the gym. Like That might be you know, what, what grace sounds like, or it might be Jesus be like, yeah, you know what, you probably could spend a little bit more time with me. We can ask him for guidance, we can ask him to lead us, and when we don't do the thing that we feel like we're called to do, we can also ask him to forgive us, because we're gonna mess it up. Another thing um, about our, our empires is uh, we take advantage of the vulnerable. And this gets very intense when Jesus talks about children. He warns the disciples to not take advantage of them. It says it's better for a millstone to be hung around their neck and thrown into the river. I mean, a millstone was a super heavy stone that um, is part of a mill that uh, uh, basically like a, a, a one single person couldn't lift it up. So if that's around your neck and you're in the water, sorry, that's it, you're done. But Jesus is saying it's better for you to drown in the sea with no chance of escape than to face the judgment of God, as that He dishes out to those who lead others to sin, especially little ones, especially those fragile in the faith. Jesus is very concerned about protecting the vulnerable. Now, Jesus wants us to work for the good of the vulnerable. He, he shows more concern for the little ones' fragile faith than He does for the great ones' fragile egos. And he, and the, a fragile ego will always cause us to lord it over people or ignore people. So, if you're more mature in your faith. You have a responsibility to care for those who are less mature. But if we're concerned with building our own empires and we're concerned with getting our own greatness, who's the easiest thing to get greatness from? Those who are most vulnerable, and that's what we'll do. Lastly, uh, the last two verses, verses 49 through 50, Jesus talks about salt. Uh, He says, um, everyone will be salted with the fire. And salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. I mean, salt is what makes other flavors in food come out. It makes other foods distinct from each other instead of being super bland and and kind of running all together. In our own empires, we are just like everyone else. There is no salt. It's a very bland kind of existence. There's a Charlton postcard. I don't know if you've seen it around. Um, I didn't get a photo of it to put behind me. But um, it's a, a photo of someone doing yoga, I think like balancing like a, a vase on her head or something like that. It says, come to Charlton and be different just like everyone else. It's like, yes, that is exactly what we're about. Like, we love being different in this, in this neighborhood. And I love that, actually. I love that about children, Charlton. I love the, the weirdness that we have. But sin really makes us all the same. What makes hard divisions in our society, let's, let's say politics, for example, Let's take your, your most extreme right-winger and your most leftist liberal. How do they live in their own personal lives with respect to sexual ethics? They probably see sex as the same. Sex is merely for my own gratification and how I can delight in what I want to do. How do they choose to spend their money? Probably exactly the same. Money's for them to spend their money in whatever they want to do. Now, they might say there's kind of a different ideology out there that they like, believe in, but as people, they're, they're, sin makes all of us the same on the outside they might present themselves as different but inside there's the same so sin really removes our distinctiveness from each other we end up in our own empires living a bland life just like everyone else trying to do the same thing and ultimately what does jesus teach about the end the ultimate end for those who are seeking to build up their own empires well jesus wants to warn us of the reality of a place where the fire never goes out a place of complete separation from God, what Jesus calls hell, which sounds harsh, and it sounds scary, and it is scary. Hell is complete separation from God, and that should scare us. Jesus is not, is not doing this like a scare tactic. He's saying, this is a real possibility. Now, I do not want you to go there. Here's how to not do that. And in many ways, though, as, as scary as it is, though, in many ways, it seems to be kind of a natural consequence. Because if we're about building our own evil empire, seeing that evil empire fall, That's justice. If we're about taking advantage of vulnerable people and seeing that that, uh, that taking advantage of vulnerable people, seeing that empire fall, like that's that's justice. And if we're not concerned with God's kingdom in this life, why would we ever expect to be connected with it in the next? Why would we even want to? So these are really these are stern warnings that Jesus has for us, and they are warnings to people who are interested in Jesus, like us. People who are interested in following Jesus—these are real warnings. So that's what our empires look like, not looking so good on the scoreboard of life. Um, what about the other side of what God's kingdom looks like? So Jesus is trying to rescue us from our empire and save us uh, to God's kingdom. So what does it look like? Well, the main concern for those in God's kingdom isn't who's the greatest, like in our evil empires, is who's the greatest servant. Jesus is talking about suffering. He's talking about dying uh, for these fools who are like arguing about who is the greatest. Jesus is the greatest, but that's not his main concern. In God's kingdom, it's about who is the greatest servant. Now, being the greatest servant might sound good. might sound high and mighty. might be like, yes, I'm going to aspire to be the greatest servant. And then someone treats you like a servant, and it's not very fun. Like, servants aren't very exciting on the outside. They don't have a grand life on the outside. They don't have a very comfortable life. They're like the lowest of the low, and people tell them what to do all the time and don't really care if they follow through or not. But Jesus teaches us that God's kingdom is about serving others first. Uh, another thing in God's kingdom is uh, we get to be, as we live in God's kingdom, we get to be hospitable to others. Oop, too fast. There we go. Hospitable to others. So if we start with uh, trying to find who is the greatest servant, if we start there, all the other dominoes kind of fall in that same kind of direction. In God's kingdom, there's always room for more. And I like talking about the church in this way. The church is a family that is always open for more people to join in. We don't need to have these kind of grabby hands for this thing or that thing or try and, like, you know, hoard for us what what we feel like we need because God has given us more than we can even hold ourselves. So we don't need to kind of be anxious about that. There is no lack of love in God's kingdom. There's no lack of grace there, no lack of comfort, no lack of understanding. It's how God runs his kingdom. So the more we're aligned with him on that path, that frees us to be welcoming to others. And this is more than just being tolerant to people or being polite to people. Like Jesus offers a broad welcome. I mean, even as he talks about um, in, in verse uh, 36 and 37, talking about a little child, taking a little child in his arms. Whoever welcomes one of these little children welcomes me. Isn't is Jesus teaching us how, we're, how we ought to live because of the welcome we've received from him? Now, we don't know the people in churches in Stretford, or we, maybe we know a few, but we pray for them like we did today. I'm glad they're doing their thing. If an, and again, if another church with way more resources comes in and a way more gifted pastor comes into Turlton and is calling people to Jesus, we should rejoice and be glad, regardless of how that offends us. If someone else gets that promotion or that credit, we can be free to be joyful with them because we already have more credit and acceptance in the Lord than we even know what to do with. And also, Jesus doesn't want us to stumble. He wants us to flourish. <laughs> Jesus, as he teaches us to live in God's kingdom, encourages us to keep keep on his path, for us to keep following him, because Jesus knows that a life aligned with God is where all human beings flourish. He knows that because he made us that way. And he also knows that's not our first choice, so he has to tell us to do it a lot. He has to warn us of all the warnings of getting off his path, because we don't generally drift to be on Jesus' path. So he is constantly in our corner, helping us to stay on there, speaking these words to us, like that still small voice the Holy Spirit in us gives us a slight nudge might be set your alarm a little bit earlier or only hit snooze 11 times instead of 13 times or whatever the thing is I'm not a snooze hitter Christina's more of a snooze hitter but we don't need snooze anymore we have our own alarm clock I mean or like, instead of like vegging out in front of like some dumb TV show which I love some dumb TV shows box started or up I'm in it we're on it You guys know how much I love that stupid show. Um, But sometimes it might be better to do something else with my life. Maybe take time to hear from the Word of God. Because that's actually how I'm going to flourish. Jesus also protects the vulnerable. We talked about taking advantage of the vulnerable, um, but Jesus protects the vulnerable. The more fragile someone is, the more vulnerable someone is, the more that Jesus cares for them. So you might feel like you're barely holding it together, Jesus has your back. You might feel like you just um, like one small little word or whatever is just going to be the straw that's going to break your back, but Jesus has you there. He's not going to let you down. He protects the vulnerable. And let me just say, even though uh, you know, two of them are downstairs, shout out to Redeemer Kids Leaders because they're actually doing this thing that we're learning about today. They do it all the time. They, they serve and they prepare. I mean, there's a reason why I preach instead of in kids' ministry because I know in some ways it's a lot easier. I mean, the amount of time that our kids' leaders give to leading the kids in our church. It's amazing. They're really doing this thing. And um, so thanks to everyone who, who is involved in that thing. We, I really, really appreciate what you do in leading children to learn about Jesus. I think all of them, and tell, us, tell them today too when you see them, they're leading in what Jesus is talking about here. They're leading our church in what this actually means because we're all trying to, to get on there. They're actually doing it. And more than just being a good idea, they're, they're being the servants. So thank them for you, even if you don't have a kid. You can still thank him, it's okay. Lastly, uh, or close to lastly, um, Jesus, uh, Jesus in God's kingdom, that creates a distinct community. If we're living all this out in this kind of way that Jesus is pointing out, that's not a bland existence. It's a very distinct kind of community. So verse 49 says, everyone will be salted with fire. That means everyone is going to experience troubles in our life. We're all going to be experiencing troubles, but those in God's kingdom Endure. And endure not just like surviving the fire, like semi-charred, but still kind of making it, but salted, which means not just good for you, but good for others, like seasoned. Not just barely making it, but good for others. And there are different ways of being distinct, of course. You can be distinct for the worse. Like if I go on a long run, I have a very distinct smell. That's not a very good thing. But what Jesus is talking about is being distinct for the better. Yes, ask Christina about that. Um, Even the clothes like a week later. They go through the dryer, they go through the wash, it's kind of like it still smells. Um, We don't want to be distinct like that, right? (laughs) We want to be distinct for the better. God's kingdom creates a distinct community for the better, and that's what we are called to work for. That's why part of the calling for the church is to cultivate the life that goes on where we live, to cultivate the culture that, I mean, on our website... It says that we're a church that loves people, or loves I think it's loves Jesus, loves people, and is called to cultivate the culture of Charlton, I believe. I should know it because I put it up there. Um, But that's what salt does. That's what a distinct community does. It cultivates the thing that's already there and calls it out, brings more flavor out of it that was already there to begin with. (laughs) This is why we work with Reach Out to the Community because what they're doing is helping to cultivate the community here in Charlton with people who are, uh, who are finding themselves homeless. That's why we work um, and have helped to fund like, the skate park in Manchester grow and expand because they're cultivating the life of the youth in, in Manchester. That's why we're with uh, the Charlton Arts Festival because that's what an amazing thing to be a part of as a church in Charlton, to be part of the arts festival that's going on here. Without salt, life is bland. Now, maybe you think Christians are bland, the church is bland, and maybe you're right. It can be bland at times, Um, but a couple things on that. First, I don't think we have to have the, we do not have to have the burden of always being amazing and cool and doing amazing things that everyone's going to share on Instagram all the time. There's actually a, a blessing to having a quiet and slow life. Uh, as a christian there's there's, a, there's an unburdening about that like we don't have to be the best all the time at all the things that's a, that's a, like a, a great kind of freeing reality and also what's exciting by the world's definition isn't always exciting by god's definition so seeing people slowly come to faith take a 1% little closer step of not thinking Christians are completely crazy, but Christians might be kind of okay. That, that's, that's the kind of exciting that we're going to see, like those kind of small little steps. Now, that's not something that people are going to get super stoked about, you know, over the whole city of Manchester, you know? But that's the kind of things that we're, we get to be a part of as a church. Remember, we aren't about being the greatest. So let's not reverse this and try and figure out how we can truly be the greatest in this kind of baptized religious way. We're really about being the greatest servants, and that doesn't always look amazing on the outside. Now, with that in mind, though, I think we should be some of the most fun and entertaining people around. Like, we should be the people who, uh, if people know about Redeemer, we're like, oh, man, those guys are crazy partiers. Now, not partiers as in, like, getting drunk and taking drugs and all that kind of stuff, obviously. But partiers are people who just like to celebrate, who like to eat food together, who like to go out and drink together. uh, Because, I mean, at times... There is a polite blandness that can creep into the evangelical church. If we're just kind of nice and we'll kind of keep things nice and and we'll be nice. Uh, But we're part of a revolution. Our own evil empires are being overthrown. We're part of seeing God overthrow evil empires in front of our faces all the time. We, above all people who exist in the world, have more than any reason to celebrate and we really ought to celebrate that reality, be joyful with that. The early church was seen as a bunch of drunkards, was seen as a bunch of, of gluttons, was seen as people who were like too crazy to hang out with because they loved each other so much and they had so much joy. And that is definitely not the definition or how most people see the church today. Basically, like, if you want to give up on life, that's a good place to go. You know, that's, that's how the church is kind of seen super bland. That's not how we have to be. We should get more criticism of being too fun, too crazy, too, too, enjoying life too much so we should throw more parties. We should celebrate more often because we have all the reasons to be doing it. And lastly, for those of us who are seeking to live this path of the the kingdom of God, what is the end of the kingdom of God? It's the kingdom of God. It's more of all the above. It's all of the stuff and more of it. A reality that we don't just get to dream about or see like once a week for a couple hours, but a reality we can live in like weekly, Daily. So all this sounds great. Who doesn't, want, you know, who doesn't want to protect the vulnerable? Yeah, sign me up for that. So we all want these kind of values. We, we would love these kind of values, but we know we're all rooted in the values of our own empire. So how do we shift from where we are to where we really want to be? Like say we want to, we want to be like this a little bit more. How, how do we do that? Well, we look back at the beginning, back to what the disciples were too afraid to ask about. Um, but we don't have to proceed in fear. We get to actually ask about it. So look at verse 30. Uh, or sorry, verse 31. He was teaching his disciples, so he has the disciples kind of separately to himself. And Jesus says to these disciples, a son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. Let's ask Jesus what that means. Why does Jesus have to die? Why does he have to rise again? So for the second time now, in Mark, Jesus has been completely upfront, completely honest. Guys, I'm going to die in the future, Uh, and the disciples are still kind of completely missing it, why did Jesus choose this? Because he knows that we are caught up in our own empires, and he wants to rescue us into his kingdom. And that was the price it cost to do that. Jesus died so that he could put to death your obsession with greatness, so he could put to death your anxiety about not being the greatest all the time. Every part of you that's frustrated with your evil empire right now, if you follow Jesus, he has already put it to death. is a reality that we live in. You might still struggle with it, and that's why Jesus is warning us, and that's why we need to hear these warnings, but it has no power over us anymore. The evil empire has been overthrown. When Jesus was on the cross dying and said, it is finished, he meant it. It is finished. It's done. But he didn't just die because he rose again. So his death put to death all of our brokenness, and now we have found the power to live in his kingdom through his new life. He's given us the Spirit of so living in the kingdom isn't about trying harder or doing more. It's about depending more, leaning more, asking more. The power of God himself is within us through the Holy Spirit. Why would we rely on ourselves for anything? And not just like things that are quote unquote religious or spiritual. Why would we rely on ourselves for anything about you know what's difficult at work or what's difficult at home or all the other stuff with your neighbor? We don't have to do that. We can rely on the Holy Spirit, God himself to work. Jesus died, he resurrected, and when we trust in him, his life becomes our life. That means Jesus' death and resurrection does two things. This is where all the how kind of comes to a point. Jesus' death and resurrection does two things. It saves us from our evil empires and saves us to God's kingdom. It saves us from arguing about being the greatest to seeking to be the greatest servants. It saves us from fighting others, saving us to being able to welcome others, even if they're doing stuff that we feel like are competing with us saves us from being like everyone else, and saves us to a distinct community, one that is injecting life into all things. Now, the end of all of this, at the end, what we get by being united to Christ now is the kingdom of God now. This is the church. This is why the church is more than a meeting, more than a learning opportunity. It's more than a club. It's a community of life. It's an outpost of light. It's a family. It's where we look to each other and where we flourish. And what we get by being united to Christ in the future is there will be a time when being salted with fire will end. That fire will end. And we'll see that refining process as part of something far bigger when every tribe And every people group and every language that's spoken will be brought before our Lord and we will get to sing together, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. How amazing is that? That's what we get to be a part of. I don't think about that as often as I should. I think that would probably change my daily life if I did. But all of this was bought with a price. And remembering that price through the table helps keep our lives aligned with God's. And that's what we do when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We said earlier that hell is complete separation from God. And when Jesus cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was experiencing hell in that moment. He was experiencing being separated from God. So Jesus went through hell so that we would never have to. And that's how he speaks this welcome to us as little children in verses 36 and 37. He takes us in his arms and he says to us, You are welcome in my kingdom. Continue welcoming others likewise. That's what this table reminds us of, how far Jesus went to rescue us from our evil empires and allows us the freedom of living in in his kingdom. The bread is a symbol of his body that was broken to save us from our empire, save us to his kingdom. The cup is a symbol of his blood poured out we might continue to live in this kingdom not by our own strength not by our own understanding but by relying on the spirit within us jesus went through hell for us on the cross not so that we would try and work it off not so it was some kind of debt that he'd be like oh if they're really good maybe they'll pay me back but as a gift for us to enjoy for everyone who comes up here Part, uh, uh, we will be walking this path. It's, it's called the path of repentance. We're giving up in all the misaligned parts of our lives, trusting in Jesus as we realign our lives with him. So if you follow Jesus, this table is for you. You don't need to be a member here. You just need to trust in Jesus. If you aren't yet trusting in Jesus, please don't come up, because coming up to this table is saying that we trust in Jesus. It's not about empty rituals. We're not about that here. We want you to do something that you actually believe in. So as we come up Let's leave the empty parts of our empires kind of in our seats. Let's take the bread, uh, take a piece of the bread, we'll dip it in the wine, and be reminded of the new life we've been given being part of God's kingdom. And for all who come up, know that Jesus says, I went to the greatest lengths for you. Never doubt my love for you, regardless of where you think you are. Keep in it, keep on it, and don't rely on yourself, because I have given you the greatest gift you have barely tapped into, which is me, the Holy Spirit, trust in me to be saved from your empire and experience the joy and freedom in my kingdom. Let me pray.